the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome to a brand new episode of Sake on Air, the podcast designed to expand the dialogue surrounding Japan's most iconic beverages, sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, and I'm one of your regular hosts here on the show. And this week, we travel to the great Pacific Northwest to visit Chef Soma and Russell King at Hanyoto, the sake bar and bottle shop that opened in 2019 and quickly became a haven for Seattle's population of sake lovers. Chef Mutsuko Soma garnered national attention upon opening Kamonegi, the cozy, handcrafted soba joint that quickly shot her onto the top of many best-of restaurant lists, both locally and nationally. But after not even two years, she already started planning her next endeavor, a more experimental bar or izakaya-style space focusing on creative interpretations of traditional fermented foods offered alongside an extensive and expansive sake list. A regular at Chef Soma's previous culinary outposts and a sake scholar in his own right, Russell King partnered with the soba-slinging chef to open Hanyato, just two doors down from Kamonegi as well as develop and manage the expansive beverage program designed to raise the bar for sake service in the city while making an array of both traditional and eclectic styles of sake available to Seattle's sake curious. This week's show is actually split into two parts. The first 30 minutes are from my visit to Hanyato to meet Chef Soma and Russell back in October of 2019. The latter half of the episode is me catching up with Russell in an online interview just a couple of weeks ago in mid-September. Originally planned for release back in the spring, we decided to put the show on hold for a bit so that we could do our best to represent both the passion and hard work that went into making Hanyato happen in the first place, as well as the perseverance that powered them through the challenges of 2020, sharing the current state of Hanyato and their goals for the future of the restaurant. Along with being a fantastic look into the creation of one of Seattle's, and arguably one of the country's, most exciting sake establishments in recent years, This week's show also offers great insight into the challenges being faced by restaurants, bars, and dining establishments all across the country, and what this tumultuous transition could mean for the future of sake. And lastly, in a bit of unexpected news, Russell actually just recently announced on the restaurant's Instagram that he will be leaving Hanyato at the end of September. This had not been formally announced and actually wasn't a part of our discussion even just a couple of short weeks ago. For all of our listeners that were lucky enough to encounter Russell's passion for sake and his dedication to the restaurant and to the category while he was there, please do reach out to him and wish him the best. Myself and the whole team here at Sake on Air wish him success, health, and happiness in his new endeavors and hope to be compine together with him in some shape or form someplace in the near future. Best of luck to you, Russell. And so with that, our interview with Chef Soma and Russell King of Hanyato in Seattle. Thank you so much um, for making time to sit down with us here on Sake on Air today. Um, I am joined together by the team at Hanyato um, in Fremont in Seattle, um, makers of fantastic fermented foods and offerings of incredible sake. Um, I am joined by um, uh, owner, chef, Ms. Mutsuko Soma. I go by Soma. So Soma? Is Soma okay? Soma. Okay. Does Soma work? Okay. Excellent. And her partner in crime, Mr. Russell King. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, for joining me today. I really appreciate you making time. So we'll jump in real quick. So tell us about Hanyato. What is Hanyato? Hanyato is Seattle-only sake bar and retail store. Okay. Uh, we have right now 46 sake mm. by the brass, and all 46 you can buy uh, to take home. That's fantastic. There, there's nothing else like that in Seattle right now, correct? It's a sake shop. Yeah. But uh, that sake shop, um, what's should I say? Only like five. Well, he, he has a curated list that yeah. he uses to showcase the products um, that he's excited about. Yeah. And oh, we, that's yeah, we get to go out and go down. And uh, that's actually where we hang out when we have time off. Yeah. We go drink nice. sake somewhere else. Yeah. Nice. So everybody's clearly on the same team here oh, in the yeah. city. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. But this is a relatively new format for the city to have something like this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because everything by the grass, also we have food. 
Very nice. And Hanyoto opened in officially May seventh. Um, we were we had a soft opening just before that, but May seventh was our open day. Okay, so open. What we're now in October. Just about, yeah. about five months in. Yeah. Yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the response has been fantastic and just incredible, just based on what I've seen from the internet. <laughs> Before we, I, I really want to talk about Hanyoto being this, a sake podcast, mm. and sake is a big focus of what you're doing here. I do want to talk a little bit um, with you both about sort of how you got here as well, too. I would love to step back just a little bit and talk and learn a little bit about the process that sort of got you here as well. Um, so prior to Hanyoto, mm-hmm. just a few feet down the road, uh-huh. um, we have Kamoneki. Yes, the soba restaurant. A soba restaurant. Mm-hmm a very highly regarded soba restaurant at that. At first, when you first got into that, mm-hmm. why soba? Well, I was growing up eating my grandmother handmade buckwheat noodle yeah. soba. Then when I was 18, I moved to U.S. and there's no place serving handmade buckwheat noodle. Yeah. And dry buckwheat noodle is totally, totally different yeah. animal. Yeah. Like top ramen versus regular ramen. Yeah. So I just started making my own for yeah. myself. Yeah. Then I realized, okay, maybe I should sell. Yeah. 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 That's how Kamonegi started. Okay. Well, when you started, why, at the time, why do you think there was no proper soba? What was after having started to make it yourself and set up a restaurant and a business around it? What do you think was keeping people from doing real soba? I think many people doesn't want to do soba mm. because too much labor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like kneading, rolling, cutting by hand so much effort and it's hard to train people to make soba so as a business it's really hard that's that makes sense actually there's a lot of other stuff where you can hire people and get them to take over for you but yeah. if you're doing soba you're doing soba mm-hmm. right so that's so now today kamonegi are you on top of the soba <laughs> all day every day yeah wow wow that's a that's a process mm-hmm. <laughs> So in the process of getting into soba and working with soba, did, was that your original training? You, you trained in other types of culinary and things yes, too, right? Yes, I was doing uh, French cuisine and Spanish cuisine before. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it for you about soba? Was there something, aside from being just unavailable, was there something in the process of learning how to make soba and making that? Was there any personal, I don't know, discoveries for you that were... It's like a yoga. It's very really relaxing. Yeah. And meditating. Yeah. It also reminds me of my childhood yeah. with family. So. Yeah. So then, prior to but prior to opening the restaurant, you were doing what kind of pop ups and things like that, mm-hmm. or you had sort of a temporary location. Yeah. Pop up. Yeah. Um, tell me about that process. What was the process like of bringing proper soba to people, sort of initially, and sort of their response, and sort of what did you learn in that process? So fortunately, no one, I know everyone knows about soba. Yeah. I think American people are familiar with buckwheat noodle, like yeah. dry buckwheat noodle. Yeah. So, and I think people think gray or brown things is healthier. Yeah. So it's like a, I don't know, brown bread yeah. versus udon is white bread. Yeah. So yeah. everyone was like simply accepting soba noodle naturally. Yeah. Okay. So like for me, it's very easy to introduce fresh soba noodle. Yeah. They're like, wow, it's better than dry soba noodle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Was is the health thing? Was that something that people picked up on, or is that something you tried to push or share at all? I think healthy is one of the reason. And texture, yeah. unique things. Yeah. One of the most selling item right now is kamosero, oh, which yeah. has dipping sauce with cold noodle, so yeah. people enter the temperature difference in okay. texture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was authenticity? and recreating like the flavors and experiences you have at home was that what was guiding you um was there a certain level of authenticity that you were trying to well, keep or the, um i'm serving traditional dish yep. and creative dish uh, like such a foie gras tofu i yeah. make tofu from foie gras yeah but flavor like japanese ingredients like yeah. using sake poached shrimp okay. wasabi and dashi yeah so i want to introduce more traditional stuff yeah. But I want to be playful with yeah. so I think soba was a perfect fit for me. Yeah. And also uh, marketing-wise, frozen udon is so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. like, if 
I'm thinking at home. I want to eat nabiyaki udon. Yeah. Nabiyaki udon at home is so easy to make. Yeah. But if you're thinking, I want to make tempura udon, a tempura soba. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. You have to like fry tempura. Yeah. Like kneading, cutting. Yeah. Like, cooking soba is so tough. So yeah. I rather go to a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I think that was a good idea to yeah. start soba restaurant. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you training other people to then be able to make soba? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm training my staff. Oh, wonderful. And so you've been doing what? And that opened in what, 2017? No. Hey, we had the two year anniversary last Saturday. Okay. Oh, excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. And so, what? So, yeah, so you've got that going for about two years.、Mm-hmm. Um, and after, gosh, what, about a year of doing soba, you decided to go for. A second location.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was. What. Why? That sounds like a lot of work really fast. <laughs> I think Hamodegi was good because introducing new culture to Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Then I'm thinking something more new, something new, something traditional things.、Yeah. Popular in Japan,、mm-hmm. we need to introduce here,、yeah. Seattle, such as. Japanese fermentation yeah. and sake. Yeah. Were those both things that interested you previously, or was it something you sort of discovered through、yeah. a process? Or? We had the idea of creating more fermentation things, but we didn't have space in Kamonegi.、Yeah. So we're thinking building a、like、fermentation chamber、yeah. and doing new stuff,、yeah. and also traditional, traditional stuff. Japanese people do、mm-hmm. to introduce、uh, people here. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. If you look at the food around Seattle、mm-hmm. and some of the experiences of people around here, there definitely is an interest in fermented food anyway.、Um, we have、uh, some great local businesses that are making a lot of money from their fermentation, like their fermentation and bringing fermented foods to the market.、Um, and people recognize the health benefits of having those live cultures.、Um, the interest that we both have in, in fermentation is. Helped us come together with at least a theme.、Right? And when we start talking about fermented products, there's another kind of fermentation which leads to alcohol. And、yeah. so it's nice to be able to include all of those things yeah. together yeah. and to have a destination where people can come to drink and eat. And we can put you know, some of those small fermented dishes in front of them and have them pair with sake has been really exciting. Yeah, it's a very natural through line. Yeah. yeah. You, you have this smile on your face all of a sudden when we started talking about fermentation. <laughs> what is, Russell, tell me about what was, what was your relationship with? Fermentation and Japanese cuisine and things as we were. So,、um, the, I have、uh, friends who have you know, some of those businesses where they've been、uh, focused on lacto fermentation.、Um, we have、uh, the Noma book of fermentation came out.、Um, I have a vacuum sealer at home that I was using to、um, uh, do、uh, lacto fermentation, then getting into creation of vinegars and、uh, playing with koji. And, and it's just kind of cool to have all of those little、um, creatures、uh, doing your bidding and, and rotting things in the right way, right?、Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's food that's rotted that you want to eat, not、yeah. food that's rotted that you don't want to eat.、Yeah. Um, and then trying to find places for those, that, that's been really great.、Um, And then I'm a Skimono fan. I, I, I like um, Nuka um, pickles. I like vinegar pickles. I like lacto pickles.、Um, I, I would quite happily just exist on a bowl of rice and pickles. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. You, you will live long. In- <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so then, what brought the two of you together? At what, at what stage? So, were you a regular at Kamonegi?、Mm. Were you helping out there at all? Or what was, how did you two come together? Actually, I had other restaurants before. Okay. Then he was regular. Okay. Then actually, Russell helped me opening Kamonegi, like building、oh, okay. space and、oh, constructions.、Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So, what were you, so you're doing building and construction. What was, where did you come from, Russell?、Uh, <laughs> so,、um, I worked at Microsoft、um, okay. for、uh, quite a while before leaving to open this place、um, with Somersum. But Um, I have a,、uh, an interest in, or have had a long term interest in food production. And through helping Sama、um, building out Kamonegi,、um, in return, she has been kind enough to give me her time and teach me to become a better cook and、um, uh, somebody that has a deeper appreciation for Japanese food.、Um, and so, you know, 
as this opportunity came up and this space opened and I think building off of that interest in, in traditional Japanese food, but also making it more modern and, and looking at fermentation and having what we thought was a really good story, a good theme for a place to open. Um, and it being two doors down so that, you know, when things, when I needed help, she's yeah. just down the road and vice versa. being yeah, loud yeah, enough exactly. on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, you can go running between the two places like, help. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been a, an easier way for me to make a career change. And it's, it is it is a, a drastic career change yeah. coming from sitting in an office, um, running teams of software engineers to, you know, standing on the other side of a bar, um, uh, talking um, passionately about sake and helping yeah. people understand what they're drinking. I mean, it, it's really different, but it's lots of fun. Yeah, you enjoying it? Very much. Yeah, you, you're glad you... You oh, yeah, very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just asked this morning, do I miss Microsoft? And no, not at the moment. No, yeah. I'm having a really good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah as you said, it's very convenient being just two doors down. Mm. So what, and, and like five years from now, you're just going to take over the whole block right here? Is that, is, yeah, we keep joking like, about what the, 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 the place between us should be. Right? Yeah. I mean, God, I mean, that would be amazing, right? To, <laughs> to set up, you know, you've got, there's no reason there should be, there could be a small craft brewery right in the middle yeah. or a little something. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud right now. <laughs> no, so then you guys decide to open Anyato. And so this was so opening this up, was this a venture between the two of you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So both of you pooling your efforts and energy and resources and, and, and making this happen. Sake is clearly a big focus. Mm. Um, what was in at Kamonegi, what was sort of the uh, the customer experience with regards to sake and what did you, was there something that you learned there or noticed there that helped inform the type of sake service that you wanted to do here? Well, at Kamonegi, we don't have much space yeah. and very fast-paced restaurant, yeah. so we have limited sake list, about yeah. 10 sake, yeah. but here we have like 46 right now, so um, I was thinking like introducing more wide variety of sake, because sake is like American people think just you know, hot and cold, right? Yeah, yeah. Mass production, but yeah. that's not true. Like we have so many different varieties. Yeah. So just this is perfect place to introducing yeah. different type. And then that together with your fermented experience experiments. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have a few samples here before we got started. It was fantastic. This is lovely. I'm going to have to come back in a few hours when you actually open for, for business here. <laughs> what's, what's sort of that process been like? Were you experimenting with fermented foods and fermentation as well before in the kitchen? Or is this kind of a new venture? Only small production. Yeah. Like, I always do like nuka, like small pickling. But fermentation takes time yeah. and space. Yeah. So... I couldn't explore a big batch yeah. and having risk, such as uh, recently I made tomato pasta miso. Um, that takes about two months, but that's big risk, right? Yeah. Small, small space. Yeah. So Hanyato, I feel like I can experience more, almost like joke miso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. said hentai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joke miso. Yeah. In past we did. Jalapeno cheddar cheese bagel miso. We did tiramisu miso. Yeah. Tiramiso. Um, oh, I love the idea of that. Yeah. I can kind of I can envision what that could. Oh, the tiramiso like. was oh, really good. good. I can really, imagine really that good. being yeah. It's, uh, goldfish miso. The goldfish cracker miso. Was good. Cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love this. We're, so. They're, they they come in and you just kind of phase them out over time. You're just kind of always doing something new, or did you find a few that? stick and that are really popular that you keep around or so far jalapeno cheddar cheese bagel miso mm. and cocoa puff, puff miso is uh yeah they've been yeah they've been the favorites yeah um, yeah yeah what has what's been the customer response to these what's the they love it. Yeah, there's uh, when when you go to the table and you uh, put yaki onigiri in front of them and you say, and it's uh, uh, cheddar jalapeno bagel miso, yeah. and they look at you because you know the words came at them quite quickly and yeah, then they, yeah, yeah, they yeah, sort yeah. of process it and they yeah, go, yeah, what, yeah. what do you mean? And so, you, well, we made um, uh, miso from cheddar jalapeno bagels. Yeah. And they, they think that you're crazy and then they taste it and you get the essence of jalapeno and cheese coming through. And um, yeah, they love it. People come back all the time for the same thing. When you say made miso from cheddar jalapeno bagels, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Can you just walk to so like our listeners who may not know? Like, what is 
without giving away your trade secrets. <laughs> um, just what, what does it mean to make miso from cheddar jalapeno bagels? Like, what is that? Um, if you taste like miso from soybean mm. or rice or barley garbanzo, yep. you can taste ingredient. Yep. So any protein or starch can be miso. Like yep. You can make miso from like beef or pork. Yep. yep. So for me, like what component can be good with miso mm. and kind of calculating yeah. um, cheesiness, umami yeah. of uh, cheddar cheese yeah. and jalapeno of spiciness and just bread part to yeah. be a miso. Yeah. I thought it's perfect. Yeah. And I just saw jalapeno cheddar cheese. Jalapeno cheddar cheese bagel at store. Like, yeah. oh, let's make miso. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. And so then together with all those wild flavors you have, you said 46, 47. Yeah. Sake on the menu right now? Yep. Um, what's it been like building out a sake menu of that scale, going from seven, ten kinds up to, you've know, been open for less than six months? Six months right. And, yeah, what's that process been like? It's been exhausting because you, <laughs> you have to taste all of them and then... <laughs> no, it's actually been a lot of fun. Um, and we've just, we've just come out of uh, the summer selection into something that's more fall appropriate and talking about full menu and... Um, getting closer to um, or getting Seattleites used to the idea of Atsukan and yeah. um, having sake on the menu that we intentionally want to warm. Yeah. Um, it's been really good fun uh, figuring out what works and what doesn't work within this community and being really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yamaha and Kimoto, yeah. they, I, I wasn't expecting so many people in the city to bump those and yeah. they really do. They like yeah. you know, that, that acidic um, quality to their sake. Yeah. We, at the moment, we don't have too many uh, Jumada Ginjo on, the, on our list um, because Jumai and uh, Jumai Ginjo are very popular within the community. Um, and I was expecting, based on my experience with my peer group, you know, everybody says when you go to buy sake, you should buy the expensive Jumada Ginjo. And I was expecting more and more people to come in and ask for those. Um, but they've been really open-minded and they've allowed us to um, play with them. We put together some interesting flights and... Um, we've had an opportunity to run some 101 courses and uh, yeah, we've had a really good response. Yeah. We have regulars who come back and as soon as they walk in, they ask what's new. Yeah. And so you have to recognize the face and remember yeah, yeah, what yeah. they've had and when they were last in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Is, is there been anything that's been informing the type of menu that you build? Has it been sort of gradually based on feedback from your clientele or did you have an idea before you started kind of what you wanted to offer. You said you uh, you had, for example, more sake that you were excited to serve warm. Was that something that you had uh, sort think, of in mind before? Well, when we first opened, um, we were working with our distributors to come to put, pull together a list of sake that have good stories. Mm. I know adult learners enjoy stories. Mm. And we were expecting people to come in here to want to learn about Japanese fermentation and want to learn about sake. And we'd been... Uh, we have that crowd, they come here, they want to learn. So sake with a story is um, sake that adults find really uh, enjoyable. They want to know how it came about or um, you know, talking about uh, growing a particular rice or relationship between a brewery and the farmers who are growing the rice. All of these things people connect with really well. So when we opened, that, that was the list that we had. Um, it was a bunch of sake that had really good stories. Um, and from there, uh, moving into the summer, uh, we had things that were um, a lot more uh, summer appropriate, things that were cold. And now Seattle, as you probably noticed, is cold and wet today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be cold and wet expecting, yeah. until, <laughs> until the, uh, May next year. Uh, so having something that we can warm up is yeah. fun. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we have Mizuho and uh, Kenbishi Mizuho, and we serve that on the rocks for people. Yeah. And so it's not all hot. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, oh, very good. Just out of curiosity, what was your background in sake before getting it? Was there? Did you well, I drank it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think so. I was exposed to it in Japan um, okay. by some friends in Fukuoka, okay. um, helping me uh, navigate um, the different bottles. They took me to different um, uh, breweries in Japan, and um, for in learning about Japanese cuisine and culture through them they introduced me to um, their culture of uh, uh, drinking um, uh, jimmai sake and drinking um, shochu. Um, and so the interest came from really trying to understand that. 
Um, and then as we open this space, um, Hanyato, uh, exploring sake more deliberately, um, I, doing my WSET level three, um, and uh, going on John Gortner's uh, Certified Sake Professional, and um, just reading so much uh, constantly. Um, I've been overwhelmed by the complexity of the beverage um, from just very simple ingredients and seeing the, the diversity there. Um, yeah, I've loved every, every minute of it. Yeah, excellent. I'm curious, Soma, what was your relationship with sake early on? You said you came to here, you came to the US when you were, what, 20 mm-hmm. or so, 18? Right, and so you probably had a pretty limited relationship with it at that point. I'm curious how your relationship with sake evolved over so, primarily um, being in the U.S. Around 2009, I went back to Japan once. Okay. Spent like three years learning soba, drinking mm. like a bunch of sake. Yeah. Because traditionally, soba restaurant only serve sake and a little bit of beer. Yeah. So I just drink a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The combination of sake and soba is. It's a nice one. <laughs> it's a good one. But I think there's a lot more possibilities probably out there than just what the quote-unquote standard is for a lot of stuff in Japan. Are you, how, how, what's your relationship with sake and soba? How do those things go together? That's a tough question. <laughs> you know, soba restaurant has like tiny snack, like tsumami, yeah. and drink like two, three sake, yeah. and finish with soba. Yeah. Not necessarily drinking sake with soba. Yeah. I like that combination. You get drunk yeah. fast and... Yeah. Finish yeah. With soba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that a pretty common pattern at Kamanegi as well? Or no. Is, no. <laughs> People drink sake with soba. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, they come here, drink, and then they yeah. go to you. Go, right? yeah. That's a good setup. And yeah. people come back again. Yeah, they come. <laughs> this. Yeah. You just got to take over this corner. It, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of nice because, uh, you know, having the cookie placed between the two of us when yeah. we need snacks, the yeah, yeah, cookies. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. Not yeah. bad. So even though you're close, you can't be in two places at once. Mm. Right. So are you primarily doing soba and then you're behind the bar here? Yes. Is that, that's pretty much the base operation. And then yes. in instances of emergency, somebody might dash back and forth. 20 seconds walk, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Oh, nice. I like to go visit when Somersan's cutting the noodles yeah. because um, you can have a, a conversation with her. She doesn't need to look, right? She's just yeah. been doing this, and, and it's like having a metronome in the background, and yeah, it's yeah. this really comforting rhythm. She talked about it being yoga for me, it's really yeah. zen just going yeah. in there and listening to that sound. It's uh, yeah, it's quite relaxing. So when things get a little bit crazy, just going over there and getting grounded and listening to the sa- the rhythm of her making sober is really nice. Very nice. So you guys are doing some neat sort of like collaboration dinners and pairings and things. I saw you just did a, something, pizza, sake. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have an event called um, Life is Better with Sake. Agreed. Asked me the <laughs> sake with pizza pairing, sake with Chinese food pairing. Sake with Filipino food pairing. What's the other one? There's a fourth. Taiwanese. Yakitori. Yakitori. Oh, nice. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's together with other chefs in the area? Uh huh. Oh, very it's nice. Corporation yeah. Mm-hmm. We're closed on Monday, and so we open up the space for other chefs to come in, especially people who don't have physical presence. Yeah. And so they can use this space, and in conjunction with them bringing their menu. Um, chef will spend time pairing sake with the different courses. So she'll spend time working with the different um, visiting chefs to understand the food that they're putting together and the primary elements that they want to emphasize in their food. And then she digs through our list of sake and finds uh, interesting pairings for them. Oh, cool. And so then on those nights, it's basically it's a set pairing dinner where it's mm-hmm. this food and this, the sake that has been selected for them. Mm-hmm. Is it like like a couple seatings or something like that? Like a... Usually two seats. Yeah. Okay. Oh, very cool. Very cool. How how's the response been? It's been. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I love People that surprised. idea. Yeah, I love that idea. Is it... And one of the like I suppose a measure of how successful it is is um, we have retail as well here. Like everything you drink by the glass, you can also take a uh, buy a bottle to go. Um, and on those nights, we do incredible bottle sales for people who wouldn't normally have bought sake or thought to buy yeah. sake. Uh, and taking it home now with an idea of how they might pair it with food that they enjoy. Yeah. Um, because they came for a particular pop up. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's super exciting. How has the retail end on on things been? Do you sell two or three bottles a night? Do you sell 
10 bottles a night? Is there? No, I don't think we sell that many a night. Yeah. Um, maybe a week we'll get through 10 bottles. Okay. Um, uh, I think it's harder for us or what, you know, we're, we're learning to have a sake bar. Um, uh, Chef Summer brings a lot of experience of having a restaurant, but um, you know, this is not that destination where people come to eat and drink. It's the other way around. People come to drink and eat. Um, and figuring out then how do you introduce this idea of retail as well without you know, putting the bottle down in front of people and saying, oh, did you like that? Oh, you can buy it too. But um, trying to make this um, or make the fact that we, we carry sake um, for retail. Um, and I think we do a pretty good job of positioning prices as well, making ourselves competitive. Saying that though, at the weekend we had somebody come in, literally just walk in the door, say, I'm only here to buy sake, brought three bottles and left. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I think maybe the, the word is getting out, but um, we definitely need to discover a better way of, of passing that message on. Yeah, yeah that's super exciting. This just is a resource for somebody who's mm. in the sake to know that you've got 40, 50 bottles just in stock. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's nice. <laughs> that's comforting. Thanks. No, very good. So you guys, I, I, you've been, it seems moving at a pretty rapid pace from starting Komodegi to here, um, only been open six months. I imagine there's a lot you're still, you know, thinking about and, you know, figuring out um, along the way. Um, but in this rapidly developing city, mm. um, what's got the two of you excited right now? I was talking to um, uh, somebody about uh, an essay question, which was, you know, how do you, what do you think the future of uh, yeast is in the sake business? So, and that, I, I found that uh, quite provocative <clears throat> um, from, if you look at how Chef Summer and I approach uh, sake pairing and some of the crazy things that we want to do, um, I gave uh, Chef Summer a, a gift uh, a little while ago of uh, the sake pairing book. Who's it by? Chiba Maria. Chiba Maria. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know that that started this this uh, really fun exploration. Um, I mentioned lemon and masumi uh, earlier, but you know finding dewasakura, um, dewasansan, namagenshu, and dried figs as a combination, or looking at um, understanding when a particular yeast produces a vast amount of something like ethyl ethyl caporate, and then knowing that that might also show up in butter, and then so looking at uh, pairing combinations or how do you bring that forward um, so between our interest in in food we've also got this interest in in maybe the biochemistry of of producing sake and and what literally it means to have that glass of sake in front of you um, and then using that as the the next step for pairing not just oh you know this tastes nice and we like it and maybe it'll go well with this food but really trying to deconstruct the food and the sake to think about it more logically. Mm-hmm. So what's your what's your guys tasting experiment session like? Do you guys have ever have any like taste uh-huh. sessions or together yeah. with the staff or team or is yeah. it just un- constantly just ongoing? Yeah, so we have um oh, when our distributors come in to bring in um, a new sake from their portfolio or if they're bringing on a new di- a new distributor themselves. Um, uh, Chef Summer has asked that we do it at a particular time in the morning so that she can put together a tasting plate. And uh, so, you know, we've had these visitors come in and they've been completely overwhelmed because when they come in, they're, they're met by five or six other people who are all sat there with uh, spit glasses and glasses of water and then these big tasting plates where there might be uh, eight different elements on the plate. And we'll go through making notes, talking about the combinations, uh, discussing what works and doesn't work, as well as how good the sake is that comes in. And that really helps us inform the items that go on our list and maybe even menu development. Um, so yeah, not just our staff, but also the distributors. We're teaching them right, yeah. about yeah. food pairing, which cool. is That's really, great. and the producers. Uh, we've had two producers come in. And they've both been blown away by the degree of, um, I don't know, seriousness that we put into mm-hmm. tasting and pairing. Yeah, I mean, that's what's, those are the people that are going to really benefit a lot too, is this, the producers seeing what excites the discoveries that you make, what gets you excited, and what gets the people that are you know, walking in here to have a glass of sake. When Choryu Brewer mm. comes in, bring two types of sake, yeah. then we discover Tarasake is good with cumin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's super exciting. And it's very exciting to see that the both of you are digging into that in a, in a very 
thoughtful in a thoughtful way so that's that's fantastic I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes I'm expecting Chef Soma to start dictating a book yeah and I'll just type she can talk yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well, you I, I can do a more chemical science part. Yeah, but you can, I, I think you need to like, capture your ideas. You have such brilliant ideas when it comes to pairing food. Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to sit down at the bar next time and just oh, have, some, have some drinks and then I'll really pick your brain. I'll just, yeah. I'll just hook one of these lapel mics up to you. Yeah. So there you, you can, go. You won't even know it's there. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, we'll have to do that for round two another day. Sounds good. Excellent. Well, I've, I've taken up more than enough of your of your morning um thank you so much for making time thanks justin uh, absolutely wonderful any, any any last words anything you want to tell people when your restaurants are open where they can find you on the internet or we're open tuesday clubs? to thursday both locations tuesday to thursday uh four to ten and friday and saturday four to eleven um and uh yeah our websites and instagram accounts are managed by chef soma she's the social media guru and I still don't understand how Facebook works. Yeah, how do you manage to do all of that? I don't. Uh, I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah, good. good, good, good. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much, um, and I'll be back for a drink very shortly. That'd be great. <laughs> You're welcome. Excellent. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Next, we jump right into my interview with Russell that took place back on September 10th, where we discussed the process of transitioning Hanyato through the chaos of the past six months. Yeah, I'm sort of just curious real quick. So over the last six months, just sort of what was, were there some kind of key turning points where you realized, okay, we're going to have to shift and start doing this. We're going to have to start think about, thinking about this. Kind of just real briefly, sort of, if you can yeah. kind of summarize sort of what that looked like. So February 15th, I arrived in Japan and we knew that coronavirus was uh, picking up. And in the U.S., uh, uh, President Trump was saying, oh, um, it's no worse than flu. And we also started to see a little bit of news in Japan, but not a lot. Uh, so we had this trip planned. We went to Japan and Japan was wonderful. Everybody had clean hands and it was great. And <laughs> so Hanyata was closed while we were in Japan. We got back March 3rd. The week after we got back, we had a couple of events planned and uh, we ran the first event and Hanyata was full. Uh, it was full. And uh, everybody, I think, the staff were, were all getting a little bit nervous and you know thinking about the impact of having this tiny space full of people um and then we had another event scheduled to happen and um thankfully the people who were organizing it cancelled it so we didn't have to we didn't have to be the bad guys mm -hmm. and they cancelled it at just as the state said that's it bars restaurants taverns they're all closed so we, were, we immediately we pivoted to retail because we could we had the retail yeah. license yeah um so that was the first big change, right? Going from having everybody here to having nobody here yeah. um, and trying to make a bar look like a retail space and trying to get product that we could shift and trying to figure out, you know, what, what does make sense within this market? Because even though we'd had a retail program from when we opened, mm. now we're sort of like literally almost a, a year later, uh, 11 months later, we've gone from you know, turning the lights on for this fantastic bar to suddenly now it's retail. So that was a huge one, right? yeah. figuring that out, setting up an online portal and getting uh, permission to sell things online and working with the liquor control board for uh, or liquor cannabis board, LCB. Can we even sell stuff online? What does curbside pickup look like? Making sure that we understood all of that. Buying yeah. takeout bags, carry bags. Like yeah. We didn't have them. Yeah, and then com absolutely. competing with the rest of the city because they all wanted takeout containers as well. Everybody's doing that. So yeah. That. Was it hard? Was it hard to source that stuff? Was that stuff all in such high demand yeah, like, that just fight? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was just going to the store. Like it was completely empty. Wow. Um, all of the restaurant supply stores, they just had nothing. Wow. Uh, so it took a while. So we got that working, and the the state was quite good in that they let us do delivery as well, and they they um, relaxed some of the restrictions around delivery and curbside pickup. Only employees of the bar were allowed to deliver, and unfortunately, that was just me at that point because we had to reduce our footprint to get down to something that we thought we could sustain. Yeah. Uh, so I was coming in, and you know, I was ordering stuff, I was selling stuff, I was updating websites, I was uh, driving things and delivering them, and it was really crazy. And then we got to um, the phased reopening. And in the phased reopening, we were allowed for a while to be 25% because we're not a bar, we're a tavern. 
And so we okay. were and this, So this Washington, they designate, that's designated differently, a bar versus a tavern. That's right. Yeah. Because we have and, uh, you know. a full food menu. Okay. So because we have full food menu and because we're a tavern, we were allowed to have 20, 25% occupancy inside and I think 50% occupancy outside. And we did that for maybe two weeks. The hard part there was it's still small, right? Inside is still small. We didn't have airflow and it just didn't seem right. The, there wasn't the massive return on investment in having people in, 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 the, um, in Hanyato. And you produce food, but if you're not selling it, then you waste food. And so trying to find a balance for you know, what items should be on the menu and um, how do we you know, manage uh, things like, because we had to shut down delivery because now everybody's on-prem. And so uh, there are a whole bunch of people who got used to getting their deliveries. Now they weren't getting their deliveries. And mm. um, so we shut, that, we shut down on-prem for a while and we waited until the weather got better. And then we just opened the outside. Okay. And we were so lucky with Kamonegi being two doors down. Kamonegi just had the the other business had um, retail. They were oh, sorry takeout. They're just doing takeout. Yeah. Um, so we decided that you know our next shift was they'll do the food mm. and I'll carry on doing retail and I'll just focus on retail. And then people that want to eat their takeout food in our yard can do that. Yeah. Um, and then we have a really small. Um, uh, by the glass list, which is uh, just nine sake that I picked to be representative of different styles. Mm. And then obviously the Japanese beer that we sell by the bottle and can. And then if they wanted to, they could buy bottles. And also in Washington state, an open bottle of sake can be closed and then they can take it with them. So that helped as well. Okay. Um, and so that's the state we're in now. That was, you know, the final shift to move to this outside space and making the, use, the most of the outside space, having Kamonegi focus on takeout food production, Mm. and have Hanyato focus on uh, sake retail with some small limited on-prem consumption. And it was a roller coaster. Now it just feels, now it's feeling okay and we're just about to hit the rainy season. So it's going to change. <laughs> your, your, your patio's got about another 30-day limit on it. <laughs> for We hope 30 days. Lucky. 30 days yeah. would be great, but yeah. it probably isn't. It's yeah. probably until the end of September. Yeah. I'm curious with that shifting, you said shifting over to online line sales, was that, mm. what, what was the hurdle for that? Like was, was the state where they, so it was the liquor cannabis board, were they supportive of that? Were some of the laws changed in order to make that more accessible? Yeah. So um, in Washington state, your transaction has to be processed on the building that has the license. So whatever software that you use, the transaction has to happen here. And so, you know, we were looking at our POS, um, our point of sale software, and yeah. like, is this going to be compliant? Because it wasn't on the list. And so I had to fill in a request to have it um, certified to make sure that we could use it. Um, because we didn't, we didn't want another expenditure, right? We didn't want to have yep. to say, okay, now we have to buy a new, a new web service or we have to set up some new web server or something yeah. uh, just in order to sell socket. Yeah. Um, so it turned out that our software was approved, which was great. Um, and then it meant updating um, our POS, so now we have nice pictures, we have good descriptions, uh, made it easier for people to find, had to change the grouping, and all of the stuff that made sense for us when we are working with the POS on-prem, had nothing, it didn't support, <laughs> no, I, I guess, no in relevance. Any way yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so we had to change all of that, and, and so it meant a little bit of an investment there. And then um, I think we got, um, literally got the, um, the, I don't know, it's not like, um, they lowered the requirements, so you basically could apply and you got it for okay. um, being able to sell online and then um, for curbside pickup and for delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty easy to do, um, and it's temporary, and if we want to continue, then we have to apply uh, properly once they decide that this this temporary license is um, no longer valid. Yeah. Um, is that is that but, true for both online as well as the delivery curbside pickup, or is is online is that something that you can continue? We would have to apply for. You would have to apply as well, as well too. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but then you know you get into the like the oh well online does that mean you're shipping to California? And you, yeah. you know because like shipping alcohol in the United States because of prohibition is just yeah yeah it's a little a bit nightmare. bonkers. Yeah, so basically you guys are just shipping within Washington State for the, for the time being. No, we're not even shipping, right? It's, I will deliver within Seattle okay. um, and Bellevue. And um, the deliveries are, you know, local. Some of the, there's, um, 
Bellingham is way up north from here. Um, I took some, I, I drove up there on one of my days off. I had a cooler in the back of the car, everything packaged up, receipts with me. I drove up there, met the people who bought them, they signed the receipts, and then I drove back with an empty car. Um, but things like that, you know, if, if there's enough yeah. demand in a particular area, then it makes yeah. sense to drive out to, there. To make the four-hour round trip to... <laughs> yeah, but yeah. to ship it, no, that didn't make sense at all. Interesting. So what when you shift, all of a sudden, on-premise pretty much disappears, and you're starting to think about retail, and then you have to start sourcing sake for that. You, of course, already had your distributors and people that you work with that you're sourcing sake yep. from. How you start, you mentioned, what what can we keep? What can we sit on? What can we sell? How does your approach to the type of sake that you felt like you could carry or you could sell? or well, how, did, how did that differ from having um, it was weird, right, you know, on-premise? Because, yeah, because yeah, we'd already entered into like, the pre-orders for Namazake. So um, yeah. Nama season here is slightly off. So Nama season starts for us probably beginning of March and then mm. moves out. So we committed to some quantity of Namazake and um, that was coming to us. And then we were like, well, can we sell it? Or do we have fridge space? And how do we, you know, have in, or how, how's this going to look? Will we end up sitting on it? Um, will it move or not? Um, and so we had to think about how we sold Namazake in store. Like how, how do you tell a story? How do you help describe it? Or how do you help people understand it? Yeah. Um, and then price it appropriately so that it moves and doesn't get old. Um, and what happened is we blew through it really quickly. <laughs> okay. Uh, which is that's good. That's not that's not a, well, not a yeah. bad thing. <laughs> but then, because of COVID, there were so many restaurants that weren't open. Yeah. There was also now this surplus of mums. So our Nama season went on forever. Okay. Like we had we just had so much access to Namzake. So uh, it was it was weird. You know, you get to this point where like, oh, I can offer you, uh, I can offer you both uh, Moon on the Water here, here uh, Moon on the Water Nama. So you know, package them up and then these two bottles and. Now you can do the side-by-side -side taste at home and you can experience. Yeah. Um, and so we had to, you know, start thinking about creative ways to keep people interested in it, extending our market or reach so that it wasn't just the people on our mailing list that knew about it, but um, you know, how do we take, or how did we use um, social media effectively in order mm -hmm. to reach more people? And that, that selling thing like, in on-prem, you can start describing something to somebody and you see them glaze over, like, okay, well, I'm going in the wrong place. Or yeah. they'll come in and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I, I'd like sake, but I don't know what I'm going to buy. And so you ask them a couple of questions about their normal drinking habits. And do they drink wine or beer or spirits? And then which kind? And from that, mm. it's pretty easy to start matching them with a couple of sake that they're probably going to enjoy. Yeah. Um, online, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I probably could actually. I probably could have built, you know, that choose your own adventure. Start here, yeah, ask, ask yeah. a few questions, and then yeah. um, But I didn't. Um, and so instead, things like you know, every week I would try and send out a newsletter for the new sake. I would work with our distributors to make sure that every week we had something new. At least one new bottle came in, yeah. um, and we would write about it, and we would talk about food pairing, and then we started to publish some of our recipes along with um, the sake. And then um, we made small dishes for a while that we were also selling um, for people to pick up. Things like you know um, cream cheese artichoke dip, just to mm. help. Like okay, this this pairs pretty well with sake. Or putting together a sake trail mix, yeah. um, some snack that people could eat, and just keeping people interested, creating this rolling thunder and then keeping the, the thunder going all the time yeah. um, so that we didn't become too run-of-the-mill. Um, we, we've got some really great, or we have a really great sake community here. We have Sake Nomi down in um, Pioneer Square, which yeah. is, uh, I guess, premier like, sake retailer. Um, then there's us, which is like the small sake bar. And then we have um, a bunch of other Japanese restaurants that have been selling sake for a while. And they also have different retail programs. And so, you know, trying to find a way to be competitive, mm -hmm. uh, interesting, mm -hmm. uh, offer something that, you know, other people aren't, didn't offer. Um, mm -hmm. that was, that was hard work. Every day you, you try and, you know, you try and find something new. And so I'd, I'd look at other people's mailing lists and like, what did they get? Oh. Um, maybe we can offer something different. Um, I changed the labeling of the bottles, so um, and we just 
like using SMV just to help people figure out uh, SMV in the city, figure yeah. out like what kind of sake is this, just so that they can come in and browse yeah. uh, and they can feel empowered to you know make a choice. Yeah. And then they'll ask questions. And um, we got really good at upsell as well. Oh, you like this? Well, you should try this. And yeah. Doing that whole you know side by side comparison. Yeah. Absolutely. So then when it does switch to home, what is, what does that proposal at home look like? What is, is there anything that you sort of sussed out through that experience? That's like that going forward, gosh, maybe in order to get people to feel comfortable with, you know, bringing a bottle home or a couple of bottles home is, are there, I don't want to say tricks, but are there keys? Are there sort of keywords? Are there things that you discovered maybe that it feels like you're going to be useful going forward and getting to people feel more comfortable in that, in that experience, be able to shift from a, a $12 glass to a $40 bottle? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I'll talk about a couple of seconds. So Tensei um, had this fantastic Tokubetsu Honjozo. Um, over here, it's branded Endless Summer. Oh, I love it. I, I just, I love it. And I've yeah. told my husband that when I die, that's what yeah. he's supposed to serve at my funeral <laughs> um, because it's just tasty. Yeah. But having... Yeah, you know, people come in. It's it's a really good price as well, which helps, and it yeah. has good shelf life when it's kept, you know, not in direct sunlight and unopened. Um, and then it lasts pretty well in the fridge as well. So having something like that, when people come in, like, oh, I don't know what to get. Hey, it's sunny outside. There's this fantastic tokubetsu on yeah. So I really like it. Here are the reasons why I like it. And if you take it home and between the three of you or two of you drink it all tonight, that's great. But if not, then just close it, keep it in the yeah. fridge. And, and you're going to be able to enjoy this over you know, a couple of weeks and, and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Anama, instead, uh, what did we blow through? Oh, we had um, Ose Rosé, which is the almost, well, it's a rosé, Namzaka, Ajuma Daginja. A little bit sweet, a little bit tart, but being able to talk to people about, you know, well, they're, they're saying, hey, it's rosé season. Like, yes, it is. And look, we have a rosé ourselves. Yeah. Um, and trying to draw corollaries for them and parallel so that they could try something and enjoy it. What's um, the, the folks that are coming in and purchasing sake in, in times like these, are you finding people to be willing to experiment? So I think um, a lot of the regulars have been very experimental. Um, I think having Kemonegi open with um, um, takeout and people walking in and buying takeout and then seeing because we have this big sandwich board outside so and, and seeing that advertising and then stopping in and being curious um they have definitely been adventurous because uh, they're not kawanagi customers they're not hanyato customers they're trying something new uh, looking for some takeout place that they haven't been to yeah they walk in and they say they don't really know sake um they know that they are they like something called jimmai and that's about all i'll give you yeah. um and yeah they've been really like really experimental and we've had some really good feedback from them and you just spend a little bit more time with them um and uh we have some 300 mil bottles um that are a good option for them so i've got four 300 mil bottles um and one nigori uh took a bit of jimmai um uh, uh jimmai ginger and a um, jimmai ginger so they can have one of one of them or they can have two of them whatever um mm. And then when I picked those for this list, I picked them with Kamonegi's food in mind. Yeah. Um, so they pair pretty well with the food that comes out of Kamonegi's restaurant. And if somebody said, you know, they've got the, the Tantan um, Albuquerque so, so bad, like, oh, well, we have this really nice nigori that, you know, a little yeah. tiny bottle that you can take home and um, talk to them about, you know, what nigori is and make a joke about, um, you know, drinking cloudy things that aren't pepper bison and, <laughs> and then they go home and, and, and then they'll come back and say they really like that. Could they try a different one? And yeah. um, so we end up rotating through uh, different uh, Nigori Zake as well. Have you been trying to, uh, well, I know once you switch to retail also, and that means carrying a lot more physical product, but smaller formats, have, have you been trying to shift to smaller formats more so people can do takeout? And if you are, is that even available? Yeah, I think some of the stuff that we have in small formats um, is the stuff that ends up in supermarkets, yeah. right? that um, it ends up in the grocery store and uh, maybe not within the best state for us. Um, yeah. And I'm a bit snobby. Right? Yeah. So if, if I know it's been sitting around in storage for 
nine months or a year and it's in a small format and it, if it's not in um, a can but in a glass bottle and I don't know how well it's been looked after probably not going to pick it up because I think selling sake that isn't representative of the art would do me more harm than if I had to persuade them to part with 10 more dollars to get a good 720. And so what I've tried to do with the 720s is find things that are some really good 720s that are cheaper, but great. Yeah. And then um, have them close in price to the, 500, the 500s that we're selling, or yeah. so the 300s that we're selling. So that I can show them, you know, it's only, it's only $7 more to upgrade yeah. to you know, a larger bottle mm -hmm. and it's gonna last longer and we talk yeah. about it. And so for some people, they, they just want to take it and not tell me that they're gonna go to a park and drink it. And that's <laughs> fine. I don't need to know what they're not going to do. And, and so the 300s have been perfect for it. Kamonegi have been doing one cups. Um, they've sold you know, one cups uh, mm -hmm. throughout for their takeout. And, and that's worked out pretty well for them as well. But again, Chef Summer is also picky about the quality of the sake that she sells. And yeah. um, we, we've tried to make a name for ourselves having, you know, being a premium sake bar, having yeah. premium sake. Talking to people about why we don't carry those things. Yeah. We don't say, oh, it's crap, or we don't yeah. like it. Instead, we say, hey, yeah, you know, I know that there are other places that you can get it. And there yeah. are actually grocery stores that sell it. And they're going to sell it far cheaper than I could sell it. So if you're looking for that, you know, these, this, this grocery store, I know you can get yeah. it there and you should get it there. And I won't be offended if you go get it and, and try it and enjoy it, but I can't carry it because I just can't compete with that price. Yeah. Instead, I can carry stuff that they don't have and that, you know, go, go try this. And, yeah. and I think you'll be delighted with the quality of the second. Um, so working to make sure they're in date and that they're something that people can store and appreciate. And um, you want to maintain your standards, right? Yeah, you, absolutely. You don't want to go through COVID and just like, oh, lower your standards and, yeah. and then seem expensive for things that, you know, you can get cheaper somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In, in the future, then there could be potential for those, I guess, quote unquote, more premium products in smaller formats, maybe assuming if some sort of a yeah. situation continues uh, yeah. in some form. I mean, I don't know. It's, so, it's hard to say. <laughs> I think instead, um, it would be nice if it became easier for us to repackage yeah. Um, like some of the craft cocktails, I mean, if, if, if the craft cocktail kit, so if somebody comes around and they pick it up and they take it home and, you know, if, if we are, if it was possible for us to have more access to Ishibin and if we were able to package it so that people could take home, you know, some small quantity, um, I think that would help lower their barrier of entry for, you know, some really great sake. Yeah. Um, rather than the small containers, because the downside of the small containers is increased waste. Yeah. And, and people around here are really aware of shipping. And so if they see small plastic bottles or small anything, then yeah. they'll turn their nose up at it because of recycling. Yeah. Um, but they also, they know that this stuff is coming from Japan. And so then they start asking questions about how it got here. Unless it's being shipped over in large format and then put into a smaller format locally. Um, there are some smart people around here who just say, oh yeah, that's cute. But you know, it's kind of wasteful being 300 mil. So yeah. I'll just buy the bigger bottle anyway. Yeah, Seattle's got a weird demographic. They make, <laughs> they make pretty cool choices um, yeah. and they try and be really informed. But, you know, thinking about their, their impact on the world, um, they do consider some of those things before yeah. they go out and just pick it up. Yeah, interesting. Hey, that's not necessarily not a bad thing. Oh, no. <laughs> not no, a no. bad thing it, at but all. But it just no. makes it hard for us. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you, you, you have to keep up how with How do we yeah. navigate that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Those, there's a lot of individual standards in, within, mm -hmm. within there as well, too. So is if say for example if you had Ishobin, you've got these 1.8 liters. Are there legal restrictions on you then from then repackaging that into a smaller format and selling it? Is that a barrier right now for you where yeah, you're at so in Washington? You, yeah. Yeah, we have to have. Um, if we're going to repackage it and sell it, we can do that as long as we sell it with an entree. So okay. then that means going back to full food production, and it, then you get into that whole well, how do you balance the size of the restaurant or bar or whatever? Yeah and food production with selling sake. And yeah, there are some things that it, we could make lobster mac and cheese or something like that. Mm. And we could sell lobster mac and cheese and people could take it home and, re and yeah. reheat it. And you know, maybe that, that is the right way for us to go forward. Uh, but again, it's unclear what the return on investment would be. Yeah. And also, you know, like, so what kind of vessel are you using to do it? And then do you run into the same kind of problem with being able to source it? And uh, yeah, so it, it's, 
it's something we're noodling on um, yeah. and we'll figure out and um, thinking about prepared food that people can take home and reheat that can be sold as the entree that yeah. is it's not I don't want it just to be lip service like we're doing it yeah. because that enables us to do something else I'd like it to add value and I'd like it to yeah. be something that people seek out yeah absolutely and that, that in and of itself is a is a good quality experience like yeah, all the way right. around yeah absolutely right. so I, I've, I've taken a whole bunch of your time here so you said you guys are open now you said four to eight p.m was that right yeah, 11.30 to 2 p.m. Okay. And then we break for a bit, which is when I run around doing deliveries. And yeah. then um, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Um, okay. And the reason that we're doing 4 to 8 at the moment um, is it starts getting dark here at 7.30 now. Like mm. sunset is at yeah. 7.30. And we also have the 10 p.m. curfew for um, serving alcohol anyway. Okay. So we don't really want to fall into that space. Um, and because we're not in a high foot traffic area, mm. if I can capitalize on the fact that Kamenegi is open uh, and people are going there. So uh, making sure that my hours are, are aligned to theirs yeah. helps as well. Then people who are going there for a destination might get distracted by the fact that the sign just says, hey, come yeah. drink. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say that explicitly. Drink, but, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So that's kind of where you're at now. What's, just out of curiosity, what, what sort of the situation in Seattle right now? Is there any sort of, outlook for a, what the next couple months look like? How's our, our things mo seem to be moving in a positive direction? The infection rates have slowed down a little bit currently, but again, you know, I don't have a long enough trend and I'm, I'm not yeah. a data scientist person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they slowed down a bit, but the kids have just gone back to school. Um, and most kids are um, homeschooled at the moment, although it's all online. Um, so we not we've noticed a, a, a drop in engagement just because people are getting used to new routines. So we'll see what happens when people get used to their new routines. Yeah. We're about to hit rainy season and it's probably going to rain for the next 9 million years. Well, that's yeah. all, how it always feels. Well, general, all, all according to plan, at least yeah, in, that, um, in, that, in that realm. <laughs> um, so then we have to figure out, you know, how do, how do we make the most of uh, this footprint and the work that we've done throughout the summer to build a retail um, program and then how do we keep it going, moving forward? Um, but then we have things like uh, Tush Sober to look forward to at the end of the year. And um, that's always fun. And so, you know, what will we do with that? Um, last year and in December, we had a good retail sale period for sake in December because it was yeah. interesting gifts for people. And so we have those opportunities. Um, Hiroshi comes soon. So um, that's another, like, uh, another something for people to look forward to. But as for where the city's going to go, yeah. I don't know. Anybody's and, um, guess, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we tend to be quite lucky with people taking flu um, vaccinations in, in the fall. So hopefully people get their flu shots and that way we won't create noise with flu and COVID and yeah. we'll be able to just focus on you know, the health of the community and what we're yeah. doing. Um, but yeah, it's... We'll see. It's crazy. It's... So it's definitely been an interesting journey for me. Remember, in order to be here, I stopped working at Microsoft to open this place. So I didn't know very much about running this business anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, learning from Chef Summer and figuring out how to make Hanyata work has been interesting. And yeah. within our first year, we had um, this pandemic hit and so yeah. we had to change our business. And now we're navigating through the summer and, and we're going to go into fall. And what yeah. we've learned is it's okay for us just to try something and have a good or we'll put something in place that we can use as an indicator to whether we're doing the right thing or wrong thing and then just yeah. adjust. Yeah. And, you know, I've got some great friends I can turn to and say, oh my God, I, I, and they'll talk me off the ledge and we just try something else. But yeah. um, I think as well, remembering that we're not, we're not competing in yeah. this market, that the market's so small that instead it's just a niche and, and um, trying to think about how we, I don't know, just keep promoting sake and, and, and selling this really fantastic product or these really fantastic products that yeah. people who are really curious about it. Um, yeah. I'm finding new ways to pair it with um, non-traditional Japanese food and, yeah. and coming up with you know, alternatives for people. Yeah. Like tomatoes. Yeah, excellent. Oh, that's exciting. I'm curious, has your, as all of a sudden as you've had to pivot with all this, has your previous Microsoft skill set come back into play in any way, shape or form? Have you in a, in a way shifted <laughs> back at all? So I, 
Yeah, so I, I, I keep telling my friends from Microsoft that um, I am now a bigger consumer of Excel than I have ever been, whatever <laughs> was in the, the 26 years I worked at Microsoft. Now, yeah. I, the pivot tables that I have just in order for me to figure out um, what it would mean for us to be able to make some small change or how we're going to um, uh, lower the price of something or whether we're going to group things together. I, yeah, yeah, I spend a lot of time in Excel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as as everything changes, worlds start merging as we yeah, right. <laughs> as we move ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, excellent, Russell. Thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. No, thanks to you, very, and it's really yeah. nice to see you. Yeah, very nice to see you. I said these these Zoom things are very they're very convenient. They're very convenient. Mm. They can be exhausting at times because you can just mm. click the on button at any time, day right, or night. Right, right. Um, but it's it's very nice to be able to to be able to tune in and and check in and check up on folks. And yeah, it's very nice to see you in the beautiful late summer Seattle environment. It's so nice outside a, right now. It's, I'm so <laughs> envious. I can't even I can't even begin to tell you, yeah. uh, but. Excellent, Russell. Thank you so much. Um, we will. We will keep. We'll, we, yeah, we'll keep checking in with you here. And uh, yeah, we wish you the best. Give our best to Chef Thank Soma you. and the team uh, over there, over there as well. And yeah, uh, we will, working on takeout at the moment. I bet. I bet. Yeah, and we will. We'll check in again with you here very shortly. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Sake on Air. If you have any thoughts, feelings, feedback, or anything you'd like to share with the team here at the show, you can get in touch with us at questions at sakeonair.com or on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at at sakeonair. The show is made possible with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast under normal circumstances from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions with audio work by Mr. Frank Walter. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, and we will be back in just two more weeks for more Sake on Air. Come back.